We are presently in a series called Promises, Promises. Promises are easy to make, but often hard to keep. Because of this, I coined a phrase a few years ago that says, it's a plan, not a promise. I use this quite often, and especially with my staff. Has anyone ever failed to keep a promise they made to you? Of course they have. Several years ago, when I was pastoring in another city, I had a family to leave the church. It happens from time to time. You never like it. Always hurts, but it happens. People come and people go, and for a variety of reasons. But after church one Sunday, a man asked me about where this family had been as he had not seen them for a few weeks. I told this man that they had left the church. And when I told this man that this other family had left the church, this man said to me, really? Really? He said, he said I can't understand why anyone would leave this church. He said, Pastor, this church is so awesome. And then he said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, there's some people that will come and some people that will go. But he said, I promise you. He said, I promise you that me and my family will never leave this church. You can count on us being here, Pastor, as long as you are here, we will be too. Yeah, you've already guessed it. They left the church. Promises promises. Proverbs 20 and 6 says, who can find a reliable person? To paraphrase that, I think we could, we could say it like this, does anyone keep all of their promises? And the answer, only one, only one. Well, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse number 4, we've been using as a foundation for this series, and it goes like this. It says, we have been given by God exceedingly great and precious promises. Well, there's never been a time when we have needed to depend upon God's promises than during this present season. So much uncertainty, so much vulnerability, so many questions. But the good news is God is still in charge. He is still on his throne and his promises are still in effect. Well, so far in this series, we've talked about God's promises of protection. We've talked about God's promise of provision. Today, we're going to look at his promise of preparation. Are you even aware of this God-given promise? That God has promised to make preparation for us. That he is, he is constantly at work. He is constantly working on our behalf. He is constantly preparing for our future. Aligning situations, aligning circumstances and relationships and scenarios and events. Lighting up the dominoes in a row. Each one eventually touching the next and the next and the next. And all of this for our benefit. Well, I want us to take a look at this promise of preparation. I want to suggest two things today. First of all, I want to suggest that, that, that he is preparing for us here. 
God is making preparation for you, and he is making preparation for me here. Let me give you three scriptures that tell us this. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, says, For I know the plans I have for you. Say, God has a plan for me. Yeah, God says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And they are plans to, uh, to do good for you and not to do evil, to give you a future and a hope. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse number 2 says, I will go before you, says the Lord. And I will level mountains for you and I will break down gates of iron for you. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 9 says, What no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no human mind can conceive, God has prepared for those who love Him. Somebody needs to hear this today. God is preparing for us here. Well, let me suggest three things that God is preparing for us. First of all, our people. Our people. See, see, God aligns our relationships. He places people in our lives. And he places us in the lives of other people. God is very strategic. He has a divine purpose for every single person that he places in our life. In Galatians chapter 2 and verses 7 through 9, it says that God called Paul to a specific group of people, the Gentiles. But it also says that, on the other hand, he called Peter to the Jews. I did not become your pastor 17 years ago by chance. God placed me here, and he he used a specific relationship to open the door. God has arranged a person to come into your life. Did you hear me? I said, God has arranged. He is preparing a person to come into your life. And this person will be instrumental in your future and instrumental in your success and in your development. In the perfect timing, God will bring this person into your life. He also has you in someone's life, and he wants to use you to be a blessing to them. Make sure you do not miss the opportunity that God has given you. But not only is God preparing our people, but also he's preparing our place. See, God has a specific place for us. See, the truth of the matter is we don't fit everywhere. That's right, we don't fit everywhere. Like each individual piece of a puzzle only fits in its designated spot. So God has a designated spot for us. And he has designed us uniquely to fit that particular and specific spot. He has gifted us to excel. You heard me. I said God has gifted us to excel. God wants you to excel. And he has given you gifts and enabled you to excel, but not everywhere. We're not going to excel everywhere, but we can excel in the the particular place God has designed for us. 
in 1 Kings chapter 17. Israel is in a three and a half year drought. But God had a particular place picked out for his prophet named Elijah. And God said to him, God said to him, go to the brook Kirith and dwell there. Later he told him to go to Zarephath and dwell there. Notice specific places. And what did Elijah find at these places? He found divine provision. God had prepared a place for him. And God has a place for you, and God has a place for me as well. My place is not the same as your place, and your place is not the same as my place. But God has a place he has designed, he has picked out, he has equipped us for, gifted us for, and prepared for us to be. It might be a particular city. It might be a particular position. It might be a particular people. It might be all of the above. Here's what I know. When Elijah was at the brook, God was busy preparing for him in Zarephath. And when the brook dried up, God sent him to Zarephath where he had prepared a new place for him. Somebody needs to hear this. I'm I'm convinced that somebody needs to hear this today. You are fretting, you are worried, you are concerned because your brook has dried up. And you don't know what you're going to do, and you don't know what's going to happen, and you're all, all upset, fretting because your brook has dried up. But God says, God says, don't worry, I've been busy over in Zarephath. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry, I've been busy, I've been busy, I've been preparing for you. There's a Zarephath that I have prepared for you. God says to somebody here today, I, I have been preparing a new place for you. And when you obey me and when you follow me to my place for you, my place always comes with my provision. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, Jesus says, I have set before you an open door that no man can shut. Too often, and I've been guilty of this myself, too often we become disappointed when a door that we want to open suddenly shuts for us. Oh, we've been anticipating it. We've been desiring it. We've been wanting it. We've been dreaming about it. But all of a sudden, and and it looked like the door was going to be open, but all of a sudden, at the last moment, the door is shut. Here's what I've learned. And I have learned by experience, and that is that when a door that I have been knocking on doesn't open for me, it simply means that what was waiting for me beyond that door was not for me. I thought what was beyond the door was for me. I dreamed about it being for me, but in reality, what was waiting for me on the other side of that door wasn't for me. Either I wasn't equipped for whatever it was that was beyond that door or or maybe I wasn't called to whatever it was beyond that door or perhaps I just wasn't ready for what was awaiting for me on the other side of that door. And because God knew I was not ready and because God loved me and didn't want me to put me in a place where I could fail, God shut the door. I'm whining, I'm crying, I'm fussing, I'm bellyaching when all along it wasn't my door. Perhaps God didn't open that door for me because he was either sparing me or perhaps he was sparing them from me. 
Well, what I know is it wasn't my door. And if I were to walk through this door, I would be unavailable when the right door opened. Talk about preparation and the promise of preparation. God is preparing for us, and he's preparing for us right here. Here's something else we need to understand, and that is what God uses to prepare for us is our process. Our process. In Romans 8 and 28, I use it quite often. It's one of my life verses. It says that God uses everything. You heard me say it a thousand times. He uses the good, the bad, and the ugly. He uses everything. Notice he doesn't cause everything, but he uses everything. He uses everything and everybody in our life to work together for our good and for his glory. In Genesis chapters 37 through 50, God used the pit, he used the prison, and he used Potiphar's wife to get Joseph ready to become second in command of all of Egypt. Without the prison, without the pit, without the temptation of Potiphar's wife, without all of this process, without this process, Joseph would not have been ready. He would have not have had the wisdom, he would not have had the maturity, he would not have had the tenacity that he would need for his God-given assignment. God uses a process. He used a process to prepare him for his place and for his people. In the book of Jonah, it literally took a whale of an experience to get Jonah to Nineveh, his God-given assignment, pun intended. Once again, we see God using a process to get his man to his designated place and designated people. A third example is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 7 through 10. Even the apostle Paul was given a process to keep him humble, to keep him fit for his God-given assignment. Verse number 7, he says, he says, to keep me from becoming proud. I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. See, without this process, Paul would have, be, would have become useless to God. But, but, but in Paul's weaknesses, oh, in Paul's weakness, God's strength could be manifest in and through him. Seldom do we like the process. In all honesty, I've never been very fond of the process. But God uses our process to prepare us for our people. And for our place. Seventeen years ago, God led me to this place and to this people. But it was the process of the prior 48 years of my life that God used to prepare me for this people and this place. God is preparing for us. We have, we have the promise today of preparation. God is preparing. He's preparing for us here. But not only is God preparing for us here, but also, also, he's preparing for us in heaven. In heaven. Let's read about it in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are 
many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare. Say prepare. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, he said, I will come again and I will receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. No one talks about heaven much these days. Seems like only at funerals. Why why would we not talk about such a wonderful place? So I want us to talk about heaven for a few moments this morning. And I want to remind us of four things that we can look forward to in heaven. The first thing that we can look forward to in heaven, and that is we can look forward to the saints. The saints. Every single one of us, we all have friends, family members who have died and are with Jesus in heaven right now. My mom is in heaven. I'm a mama's boy. My daddy is in heaven. I have a brother in heaven. I have a sister in heaven. I have a host of friends, host of former church members. Man, I could just stand up here for hours and tell you story after story after story of some wonderful, incredible people that I've had the privilege of pastoring over the years that have gone on to their reward. They are in the presence of the Lord. They are in heaven right now. When I think about them, I began to get nostalgic. When I began to think about them, I I began to miss them. And oh, oh, listen, we've got that to look forward to. We're going to be reunited with our loved ones, with our family. We're going to see the saints when we get to heaven. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to go to the word today and See what the word of the Lord has to say. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, Paul writes, and he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unlearned or uninformed uh, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is talking about death. He said, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus or those that have died. He says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Paul said, Paul said that, that when people die, they're in the presence of the Lord. But, but one of these days, we are going to be in the presence of the Lord with him. We are going to spend all of eternity together being reunited with the saints. Oh, won't that be a glorious, glorious day? Well, another thing to look forward to in heaven is the sights, the sights. I have been so blessed. I have been so blessed in my life to do a lot of traveling. I've counted it a time or two. I've been to at least 40 states. 
I've traveled to 16 countries. I've seen a lot of sights in my travel. Oh, sights like the mountains. I love the mountains. Oh, the oceans. Oh, the oceans are my wife's happy place. She loves it when I take her to the ocean. Oh, the magnificent redwood forest. Niagara Falls, Pikes Peak, the Swiss Alps. Oh, that was, that was gorgeous. That was so beautiful. Yellowstone. Just on and on. Pebble Beach, that's one of my favorite places in the world. Jerusalem, I've been there. Oh, so what a sight that is. And then there are all of the famous sites and the historical sites that I've been able to, to see. They're just far too innumerable. I don't have time to list those today. But I want to tell you this morning that, that there's a site that's awaiting me in my future that will overshadow every human sight I have ever seen. Listen, hear me. All earthly sights pale in comparison, and that is the sight of heaven and all that heaven will include. Let's read just a little bit about it this morning. In the book of the Revelation, chapter number 21, starting reading with verse number 14, it says, Now the wall of that city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length, is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And verse, or chapter 22 of Revelation says that, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were up for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, for the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face face and his name will be upon their foreheads and there will be no night there oh they need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and for ever you talk about the sights you talk about the sights can you imagine can you imagine that the streets of the city of heaven are not paved with asphalt or concrete but with pure gold Oh, that's just the beginning. 
But not only can we look forward to heaven because of the saints, not only can we look forward to heaven because of the sights, but also because of the separation. See, heaven won't be heaven just because of what is there, but also because of what isn't there. Revelation 22 and 15 says, but outside, say outside. Outside, or it could read, not allowed in. Not allowed in. What is not allowed in heaven? Oh, not allowed in or outside, the Bible says, are the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and all liars. And this is an abbreviated list. Yes, friend, heaven will not be heaven just because of what is there. And oh, it will be glorious. It will be unbelievable. We don't even have a clue. We can't even fathom how beautiful that it will be and how awesome and how wonderful that it will be. But hear me, heaven will not just be heaven because of what is there, but heaven will be glorious because all that is not allowed in that glorious place. Heaven will separate us from everything that is wrong in this world. Very quickly, notice three things that will be absent in heaven. First of all, no Satan. No Satan. Revelation 20 and 2 says the devil, oh, was cast into the lake of fire and will be tormented forever and ever. Can you even imagine life with no devil? Oh, no devil to harass you, no devil to tempt you, no devil to lie to you. Can you imagine what life will be like? Oh, void of Satan. But not only will heaven be sat- not only will heaven be heaven because it'll be satanless, but also, also in, in heaven there'll be no sin. No sin. If you'll read your Bible, you'll find in the book of Genesis that this earth was created perfect. And it was perfect until sin entered this world. You also have to understand that the same God that created heaven also created this world. Can you imagine a place with no sin? Nothing vulgar or vile. Nothing dirty or disgusting. Oh, nothing lewd or lustful. Nothing ugly or ungodly. Revelation 21 and 27 says, There shall be by no means entering into it anything that defiles or anything that causes abomination. Something else that will, that will be absent in heaven, and that is no sickness or sadness. There's far too much pain in our world. People suffering from disease and dysfunction and depression and divorce and defeat and on and on and on. But Revelation 21 and 4 says that God will wipe away every tear from their eye. And then there will be no more death. And then there will be no more sorrow. Then there will be no more crying. Then there will be no more pain. Because all of these things will be passed away. Oh, oh, can you even imagine such a place? The promise we're focusing on today is the promise of preparation. God has promised to prepare for us in heaven. Oh, oh, I've saved the best for last. The very best part of heaven, friends, will not be the saints, will not be the sights, and will not be the separation, but the best part of heaven will be the Savior. The Savior. 
Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And Jesus said, when I get your place ready, Jesus said, I'm going to come back for you. And I'm going to get you. And I'm going to take you to where I am. And where I am, there you can be also. Can you even imagine what it will be like when we see Jesus? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever dreamed about it? What will it be like? What will it be like? Oh, when we see Jesus for the very first time. Oh, when we see our Savior. Oh, when we see the one that died for us. When we see the one that rescued us from sin. Oh, oh, the one that, that helped us to escape a horrible place called hell. Oh, the one that took our punishment for us. What is it going to be like when we lay our eyes upon Jesus for the very first time. Oh, mercy me. Sing about it in a song I can only imagine. Some of the words of that song are this. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Oh, will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Oh, will I stand in your presence? Oh, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only, I can only, I can only imagine. Where would I be? I've thought of it many times. Where would I be? Where would my life be? Where would I be without Jesus? Where would I be without him and what he has done? Oh, not only what he has done for me, but what he has spared me, what he has saved me, not just saved me from, but what he has saved me. Oh, that was waiting for me if only, if I were to go my own way and not go with him. Oh, hear me this morning. Jesus is the greatest asset of heaven. He is the greatest asset of heaven. If there were no walls of jasper, if there were no gates of pearl, if there was no tree of life, if there were none of the other things in heaven, if only Jesus were there, I'm telling you that Jesus is what is going to make heaven heaven. And without Jesus, there would be no heaven. The takeaway for the message today is this. God has prepared a future for us. Yes, my friend, God has prepared a future for us. The process prepares us for our future. Don't become weary in the process because you won't be prepared for God's plan without the process. Well, I want to tell you today that God has made preparation for your eternal salvation. God, through his son Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, God prepared a plan. He prepared a way that all of us could be saved. Let me ask you today, have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? He's paid the price. He's made the preparation for you to be saved. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus All you have to do is place your faith in what God did for you through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Place your faith in his grace for your salvation. If you do that, there'll be an eternal place prepared for you in the glorious place called heaven. Pray this prayer with me if you've not in the past. Pray, dear God, thank you for preparing for my salvation. Today, 
I place my faith for my salvation in the grace of God, what God has prepared and provided for me. Friend, if you have placed your faith and your confidence in the Lord, I believe that he heard you and he saved you. Get in touch with us. Let us help you on to your next step. Let me ask someone else here today that might be watching or listening. Have you grown weary with God's process in preparing you for your future? Don't grow weary in the process. The process is necessary. You're not ready without the process. God uses the process to prepare you for your next step, your next challenge, the next place he's leading you to. Father, I just pray for those today that may be weary. They may be weary with the process today. They may even be questioning you, oh God. God, I pray today they will not be weary. They'll understand that the process is absolutely mandatory in preparing us for what's ahead. And because you love us, you have designed the process to help prepare us for what's ahead. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.